Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Speed Technologies, the show that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624. Give me a call and we'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business and tech questions. Linux Advocate, above all else, small business owner, now host of the only radio show centered around you, the listener. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. My name is Noah Chalaya. So... Welcome to the Ask Noah Show, and a huge thank you to everyone that is participating in the show, even given the holiday weekend. You know, I there's I know that there are a lot of you that are listening over the magic of the internet, and I know that a lot of you are all over the world, and so what I'm about to say is not meant to offend any of you, but I'm going to get patriotic here for just a moment. You know, here in the good old U.S. of A's, we are about to celebrate our freedom and our independence. Now, I have been all over the world. I visited a ton of countries, and I am very thankful for the experiences that I have, for the people that I've met. I think it's given me a different perspective. I think it has broadened my worldview, for sure. The most consistent thing that i found, no matter where I go, is people. People are cool everywhere. There are great people everywhere. Culture is fantastic everywhere. But there's a reason that I'm a North Dakota hick. And it's this is where I belong, right here in Grand Forks, North Dakota. And it's because I – every place I've been is a nice place to visit, but it's not a place that I could live permanently. And that's not a – it's not a pejorative. That's not a – it's not a put down. I just – I love this country. And I love how vibrant our economy is. I love, you know, how, how, much, how much freedom we have here. I love all the guns I own. I love all the things I can do. I love everything about this country. And like myself, I'm sure that many of you will be blowing some stuff up this weekend. I, personally, I'll tell you, I'll go on record and say I am going to be putting some serious range time in the 50 cal. I'll be throwing, I know they're $5 a round. You can't reload them on a regular press, so you just got to bite the bullet, but it's okay. I'm going to I'm going to break the Barrett out and we're going to we're going to pump some lead down range and I'm going to be spending this Independence Day appreciating the sacrifice that our uniformed men and women out there have made keeping this country safe. Sometimes I think that we as Americans, we forget how truly lucky we are. If you were if you were born in the United States, you won the lottery. If you were born here in the United States, man, you won the lottery, you won the life lottery um, you can do anything in this country. You can just decide today is the day. And then today becomes the day. And I never, I've never understood people who go around telling people, you know, starting next week, I'm going to start working out or next week or next month at the beginning of the year is the first day that I'm going to lose a bunch of weight or exercise every day or be nicer to my wife, whatever it is, right? Why, why, why do you have to wait till tomorrow? Why do you have to schedule a day? Why do you have to wait for New Year's. Why not right now? Right now, I'm going to get in my car. I'm going to drive over to the gym. I'm going to sign up for a gym membership, and I'm going to work out. Because in the United States today, you can just decide that today is the day. And then today becomes the day. Coming up um, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be airing an interview that I had that, with a good friend of mine. And he started from nothing with nothing. He is a high school dropout. He received the reaction that many of you would guess he would receive. You're, you're never going to amount to anything, son. You're never going to make it anywhere. The system is rigged. There are systemic problems with our economy. The little man can't get ahead. All of those things were said to him because he didn't, have a high, he didn't even have a high school degree, much less a college degree, much less a specialized college degree. Because he didn't have any of those tools, he was a failure. He wasn't going anywhere. He's going to be stuck flipping burgers, you know, master the fries for the rest of his life. And he woke up one day and he decided today is the day. No one handed him anything. 
No one gave him anything. He didn't expect, you know, some organization to sweep in and 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 hand him an, you know, hand him an opportunity. He had no experience, he had no knowledge of any particular, you know, field. He had no idea what he was doing, but he just one day he decided today is the day. And he worked his butt off. He woke up every single morning. He went to the job, the only job that he had. He came home and he'd sit in front of his computer hour after hour after hour. He'd watch YouTube videos until he'd fall asleep sitting at his computer. And he learned about databases because it interested him because he decided today is the day. And this guy, is, it's, he's a truly remarkable guy. He's a great guy to hang out with. He's a, he's a nice guy. And, and he, he's really what he's accomplished is fantastic. And he's been up here um, hanging out with me over the last weekend. And I've had a chance to talk to him. You know, he's working in IT, you know. And, uh, of course, we're talking about Linux. And we're talking about databases and servers and infrastructure. And um, he's actually working for a large organization now um, designing databases. And he's making a lot of money doing it. And I know there's some, some of you out there there that you're like, no, where are you going with this? And, you know, the, my friend decided that today was the day and then today became the day. And I, that has been the message that I have taken away from this weekend is in this country, you can just decide. You can do the same thing. You can, you can decide right here on the Ask Noah show. I want to know how I can make today about whatever it is that that means to you. Do you want to design databases like my friend? Jump on W3SSchools.com. Start learning. You know, the great thing about W3, we don't talk about it much, but the great thing about W3SSchools.com, we'll have a link in the, sh- in the show notes. You don't even have to install anything on your computer. You just go to the website and you can do all of the things right there inside of a web browser. You can start writing SQL Server right there on, on, the, on the website. Um, today can be the day. And I don't know what that means to you. Maybe today is the day that you start your new career. Maybe today is the day that you decide you're going to double your income. Maybe today is the day that you decide that you're not going to work for any less than $75,000 a year. I, I don't know what that is, but whatever that is to you, the Ask Noah show is here to help. All right, let's, uh, let's jump over to the phones. Chaz is calling. Hi, Chaz. Welcome to the Ask Noah show. Hey, Noah. Man, spot on with your opening comments. I uh, hope you have a happy fourth and shoot some extra rounds for those of us in places like New York where we don't get to have the fun stuff. Yeah, I am fired up and wired up this weekend, man. I tell you what, I'm just, oh, no, oh, just I'm, I'm feeling patriotic. All right. So I don't know if you ever saw this, but there used to be these two crazy cats on YouTube who would talk about all things Linux, and they would tell you how Linux Academy was the best way to invest in your mind while saving some money. I don't know if you ever saw this, <laughs> but um, uh, anyway, let's say I wanted to make today the day, and I was going to go on Linux Academy, and I was going to try to get the most bang for no buck. You get that seven-day trial from Jupiter Broadcasting. What do you think is the most efficient way to get as much out of Linux Academy in that seven-day trial? What classes are the most important to learn if money's tight and maybe you can't? immediately sign on for a full-on subscription yeah for sure i would say uh, so databases would not be a th- i know they offer a, a a mysql course that would not be a bad place to start um what you what you're looking at is essentially what you're talking about is return on investment how do you get the best return on investment well where is the most money going to be made? and that's not not that's not to say I, I shouldn't start with that because that's not to say that you should you should only concentrate on things that are going to make a lot of money but let's we'll assume for the time being that you're just a person that's passionate about technology in general and we're not discriminant of what technology we're talking about we're just looking at uh, all technology being equal then what would we look at um, I would look at web technologies so I would look at uh, you know MySQL I would look at PHP I would look at Python those kind of um, those kind of tools are going to be are going to be the kind of things where there's a ton of job opportunities and there's more than one person in the database world that will tell you. And I was again, I, I kind of go back to this conversation I was having with my friend all weekend. Um, a lot of those guys will tell you if you are if you know that stuff, if you can learn that stuff in databases. And it, it took him about two months, I think he said, to to learn this stuff. And he's doing it off of you know free YouTube videos even. Um, he said, you know, you get pretty quickly approach a point where you just write your own check. You just tell them this is what I'm willing to work for and you're going to write the check if you want me to work here. And um, in that world, you know, that flies. And that that's true of, I th- you know, as far as he was saying is, you know, just a lot of databases. That That's pretty true. There's, the guys that really know that stuff are pretty, uh, you know, pretty uh, indisposable. The other thing I would look at after if you if none of those technologies interest you would be AWS because 
Um, Linux Academy does a particularly good job at teaching you AWS, and AWS is a, sc- uh, is a skill that scales drastically over a lot of things. Does that make sense to you? Yes, it does. Thank you very much. Yeah, no worries. And, you know, you call me back, Chaz, if there's anything else we can do, we'd, we'd love to have you. Appreciate having you as a listener. Particularly appreciate having you here on the 4th of July. Architect is calling from Texas. Hi, Architect. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah. I'm glad to be calling again. I just saw that uh, you were talking about the uh, the Pine Book and the Telegram chat. and uh, Well, I mean, I got one, um, but... Before uh, getting into that, I just wanted to say, you know, I'm kind of like your uh, your opening story. I'm uh, only a high school degree, and uh, now I'm doing network and uh, systems administration and trying to automate all of it for the uh, the job that I'm at. Yeah, I've had I've had people sit across from me in my office, and they have more degrees than a thermometer, and um, but they can't problem solve their way out of a paper bag. And part of that comes back to this idea of passion. And if you if you don't have if you're not passionate about this stuff, there is just there's just no way that you can really make it in this field. And it's it's interesting because, you know, when I was dealing with these uh, server issues last week, after I got done solving the actual problem, I then took the the server back uh, the um the the uh, broken server with me and uh you know, we're putting replacing these drives and getting everything fix, fixed back up and you know, nobody takes a, a you know a twelve thousand dollars server. You don't just let that sit on the shelf, right? You got to play with it, particularly if it you know can come home with you. So I was uh, I was spending my I was spending my holiday weekend with the thing you know <laughs> in my RV. I had this thing you know this twelve thousand dollar you know f- you know twenty four bay server sitting there and, and spun up. I'm like, well, let's see if I can run forty workstations at the same time. Let's see if it can handle you know how many how many things can I you know I'm trying to do all these different things. It's entertaining to me, right? It's it's relaxing to me. And then, you know, I start thinking about this and get, I'm talking to my friend and I, you know, I was like, how do you compete with this? If you're like, I'm going to show to work up to work from eight to five and then, then I'll be done. You know, you know what I learned this weekend just from playing with this thing. And it's because I, I like it and I, I like playing with it. You know, I don't know it. Uh, I don't know that you can compete. It, yeah, no, there's no, there's no competing with passion. Yeah. So, uh, sorry. Anyway, uh, so getting back to this pine book. So, okay. So first tell everyone what the pine book is. Yeah, so for those who aren't aware, the Pine Book is made by the uh, the guys over at pine64.org. It's a uh, basically a Raspberry Pi alike um single board computer running uh, a quad core ARM A53 I think it is. Um it's got an internal eMMC uh so kind of like a an SSD but worse. Um, and has uh, more I/O than the uh, the old MacBooks did, or last year's MacBooks. Um, it's shipping with uh, Ubuntu Mate. Uh, it's a lot of fun to hack on. It's got like eight and a half hours of battery life, depending on usage. Um, just a wonderful little device that you can toss in your backpack and uh, and run out with. Okay, so let's start with this. What did the uh, what did it set you back? If you don't mind me asking, uh, shipping included about one hundred and thirty bucks. Wow. So if I'm not mis- so if I were to summarize all of that, is it sufficed? Would it be would it be um, would it be an accurate summation to say that for one hundred and fifty dollars you bought a Raspberry Pi laptop? Uh, yeah, and the sad thing is that I actually bought a Pi Top too, which was uh, about twice as much and is uh, lower build quality. So, are the are the Pine books? Are they shipping like out right now, or is it still a um, is it still a crowdfund thing? Uh, it was. It's not crowdfunded, but you do have to sign up for one, kind of like uh, OnePlus used to do uh, gotcha. with the OnePlus One. Okay, so it's like an invitation so kind of a thing. It, it'll take a little while to. Uh, to be able to place your order, but um, they're really quick about shipping it. Um, so once it's it's shipped, you get it in about a week. <clears throat> and and, uh, and how long have you had the thing? Uh, I think it's going on about a month now. And uh, what have you done? I, I assume you're using it as kind of like a almost kind of like a daily driver as far as a laptop goes. Uh, I really don't use laptops as much as I used to, but um, I've kind of been toying around with it, uh, trying to put uh, things like hardened BSD on it, um, FreeBSD, uh, 
possibly even net or open BSD. Uh, but it uh, just because of the way that uh, ARM devices are kind of developed for, that's proving to be a bit more difficult than if it were, say, like a, an Atom. But uh, it it should still be possible since both the uh, the FreeBSD and Harden BSD guys are actually building both for ARCH64, uh, the 64-bit ARM architecture, and specifically the uh, the Pine64 uh, single-board computers. Now, one of the things that I uh, saw... Other Linux distros should be pretty easy to, to work on because you're just grabbing the, uh, the stuff that Ubuntu's already uh, tossed together. Yeah, makes sense. So one of the things that I, when I first looked at the Pinebook, I thought, you know, where does this fit in the, the best? One of the first things that jumped to my mind was education. Do you see this as being a usable device for K through 12 to have, you know, a bunch of these things instead of giving them Chromebooks if we gave them uh, computers with Ubuntu Mate? Oh, absolutely. This thing's less expensive than any Chromebook that I've ever used and infinitely more hackable. Um, so, I mean, regular education to, like, basic or even advanced computer science, um, I mean, these things can can handle just about any uh, workload that you're wanting to put on them, short of actually, like, an intensive uh, video editing or uh, video editing. Uh, they're great general-purpose machines, just mm-hmm. a little bit. So if I'm browsing the internet, I'm checking my email, chat, stuff like that. All of that's going to work just fine right on the on the Pinebook. Yeah, any normal productivity work, um, basic hacking around with, like, scripting languages. And um, if you're trying to learn things like C or if you want to get into Rust, Golang, whatever. Okay. And how have you found software availability? I know one of the concerns that I've always had with ARM devices is if I went ARM, like, full-out ARM, I wonder if I'd be able to have access to my same software. I mean, if you found things like Telegram, Slack, IRC client, all that stuff, is that all available on ARM? Well, with uh, with Telegram and Slack, I'm pretty sure those are both um, Electron apps, so I, I doubt that there's any real issues there. Okay, sure. Um, is Telegram an Electron app? I believe the desktop client is. Is it? Okay, cool. I learned something. But uh, I mean, Pigeon's available, so you can get the uh, the lib purple plugin for Telegram if you want to go that way instead. Sure. Um, I'm more of a command line guy. I yeah. Basically, use suckless tools like uh, DWM, ST, uh, Dmenu. All that stuff works great, so long as you can get the um, the required uh, libraries for them to link against when you compile them. Awesome. But, well, uh, I mean, if you're happy with the defaults, then binary packages are available too. So it's a good system ready to go. Well, thanks a lot for calling in. I really appreciate you giving us the rundown on the thing. That's definitely something that I'll kind of keep my eye on. And, you know, here's the other thing, too. I'll just throw this out there. I have been considering purchasing one of those little pocket computers. And I've said, you know, I I don't know how many times on last. And uh, we'll just continue it right here on the Ask Noah show. I am looking for a pocket computer. And I know there's the GPG or GPD pocket win or whatever. And I know there's a couple competitors. If anyone out there is like, I bought this one and it's not like a crowdfunding thing like i can just go to a website and i can just buy it and it will actually arrive if that's a thing and somebody has one you're like even if it ships with windows i can just reinstall linux as long as we know that it works somebody has something out there like that do me a favor let me know um because i you know i'd really really like to get my hands on one it'd be really cool reggie is calling from ohio hi reggie welcome to the ask noah show hey noah uh you gotta write this time you said Reggie last time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, here's the thing. I, you know, it's, I, I, was, I was actually, of all the things I was concerned about when I first started the radio show, one of my biggest concerns was the pronunciation of people's names. Because as a person who has a fairly difficult last name to pronounce, I, I have a lot of understanding when other people can't pronounce my, my last name. But the, I know I have, I have screwed up other people's names, like clients and stuff like that. And like yours, I should know that. I should know how to, how to pronounce Reggie. Like I should see that and just know it. Um, but because I'm, I just kind of glanced down at my computer and then I'm thinking about 10,000 things, I screw it up. And so I was, I was super yeah. self-conscious about it. But I make mental notes when that happens. How can we help today? <laughs> well, I have a question uh, earlier. You guys were talking about how you need to be passionate about something and then you you know gives you the strength to persevere and definitely learn through it uh but i want to know uh what do you think is the best learning path for learning how to build ilt devices with microcontrollers like the raspberry pi or an arduino or something Ooh. 
Um, there are two resources for you. The first is both of which are exist, I believe, in the Ask Noah show, but uh, Telegram. But if you're not on Telegram, I can get you alternative contact links. Um, the first guy that I would talk to about stuff like that is a gentleman named Keith Miller, and he is in the Ask Noah chat. Um, and what he does is he actually writes microcode for PLCs, and he does a lot of ladder logic and stuff like that. And the guy, he's truly brilliant, exceptional guy. Um, he's in the Ask Noah Show uh, Telegram group. You could talk to him there, or like I said, I can get you contact information for him. The second guy I would talk to is a guy named Jason Plum, and Jason has been a friend of the program, had him on many times, um, and uh, he also, I believe, is in the Ask Noah Telegram group. But Jason um, develops uh, embedded systems on ARM, so he builds like little ARM devices and then and then ships them. And one yeah. of the things he does is like thin clients and stuff like that. Uh, and now I th- actually, I think now he got a new job. He works for GitHub. But I mean, obviously, he still has all that knowledge. Um, are you on Telegram? I am not on Telegram. OK, n- no worries. So what I'll do is I'm going to put you back on hold and I will have uh, I'll have Sarah pick up and she'll get your particulars and we will get you contact information for both of those gentlemen um, and have them reach out to you because uh they're the guys that are going to be able to to answer those questions. I am by far not a expert on, you know, embedded code and Internet of Things and and uh, and microcontrollers and stuff like that. And I don't play one on TV, so um, that's cool. Hey guys, guess what? Last week we tried to take your emails live here on the air, and we failed. So we tweaked the system a little bit, and we're going to try again this week. Phone lines are open one eight five five four five zero Noah. That's one eight five five. Four five zero six six two four. But if you can't get to a phone, then we'll take some limited emails right here on the air live at asknoahshow.com. Now, last week we tried to take your emails and it didn't work out, but we are going to try this again. Our email from last week that we didn't get to, that we're going to get to right now, the gentleman actually asked that we keep his privacy confidential. So we're going to call him Ron. Ron writes in and says, I'm a registered clinical, clinical counselor, and I've had various roles inside and out of the university. I've enjoyed using Linux as a hobby since God was a child. Congratulations on the new show. I think you have terrific on-air energy. Well, thank you. I would like to put together an on-air podcast, very targeted focus, and I'd love to take calls on the topic of pet loss. My work as a counselor, I think there is a great need for people to discuss and hear these stories of others. It's a huge issue with families in the community. How would you recommend getting started? I live in Vancouver, and I have thought about finding some studio time somewhere for this. Listening to you has made me wonder if there's something I can put together on my own. Many thanks, Ron. Well, first of all, thanks for taking the time to write in. And I'm sorry I didn't get to your question live on the air last week. But like I said, I think we've tweaked the system now. Live at AskNoahShow.com. Um... So let's break this down from the beginning. First things first. If you want to take – I'll answer your, the question that you asked and then I'll tell you what I would actually do if I were you. Can you build the system on your own? Yes. Is it a easy thing to do? It's easy to get everything – it's not terribly expensive and it's not necessarily difficult to plug all the cables in. But to get rid of backtalk and feed and hum and all that other stuff, that is something that I still struggle with and I have a pretty big budget for, for doing this, right? So – the, the first thing that you need to become familiar with is something called a mix minus setup. And what a mix minus setup is, is on a mixer board, you have various inputs and it takes all of those inputs, combines them together at the various volumes that you would like it to be at. And then it spits all of them out together at, in the output stage of the mixer. What a mix minus does is it takes all of the inputs in the mixer minus one particular input and then outputs it to a separate output jack. So if you, if, if you can kind of follow me on this, let's say I had my cell phone and I plug it into the mixer. I want all of the audio that comes out of the cell phone to go into the mixer. And I want everything that's going else that's going into the mixer to be fed back to the cell phone, except the audio from the cell phone. Because you see, if I was to feed the audio into the mixer from the cell phone and then I fed just all of the audio back out of the mixer into the cell phone, the cell phone would hear itself. So you would get this feedback loop, feedback loop, feedback loop, feedback loop, feedback loop. It would just it would it would echo constantly. Um, it would sound terrible. Uh, so that's so that's the first thing you're looking for. And the way that you there's two ways you can do a mix minus. 
The first way is what we call uh, an auxiliary bus. So you can look for a mixer like the Mackie 402 VLC4 that has a separate uh, a separate bus for sending um, uh, creating a separate mix bus, or you could use like a, a Mackie 1202 um, which has two mix buses. So maybe you want one tied into a phone, one tied into Mumble, something like that. And basically, what you'll do is you will plug your phone, the output of your phone, into a given mixer channel, and then. In the auxiliary bus one, you will turn all of the channels up except whatever channel your phone is plugged into, and that creates the mix minus. Um, And I'll have product links for you in the show notes. We can put that in there. That's no problem. Uh, The second way you can do it is Mackie has addressed this specifically for broadcast. So they've said a lot of people are going into broadcast and taking our mixers and using them in the field because they have a very low noise floor and they work very well and they have clean inputs and you don't need a lot of extra equipment. So... How could we do this for them? And what they have done is instead of just having a separate mix bus, they still give you the two aux buses, but they have an additional feature called a Alt 3-4 Send. And what Alt 3-4 Send does is it makes it – in if everything I just explained to you sounds complicated, basically on a Mackie, uh, I think it's 1202 and higher. So like the 1202s, uh, the 1602, 1604, all of those have the Alt 3-4 Send. There's just a plug at the back of the mixer called Alt 3-4 Send. And whatever cable you plug into there, when you mute a channel on the mixer, it sends it to the Alt 3-4 bus. So you can either unmute it and send it to the main bus or mute it and send it to the Alt 3-4 bus. Um, And so that's how you can create a second mix minus, so to speak. Um, You can use that and say – so you could – so for example, you could turn the – you could you 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 could ter- ter- you could you could uh, specify it inside of your control room source and say I want to hear everything that comes both through the th- the alt three four send and the 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 main uh, you know the main bus and now in your headphones you can hear both of those things but only only the main mix is going out to the recording so that's how you can separate that out and get a get a second uh, a second bus in there. Um, let's see here. Do we have anyone else? Uh, oh, Sweet Lou. Sweet Lou, we could never do a show without Sweet Lou, so I'm glad that the 4th of July episode, Independence Day, we are not independent from Sweet, Sweet Lou. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show, Sweet Lou. Hey, Noah, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you doing? This will probably be the last time in the next couple months I'll be able to What? Whoa, 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 dude, whoa, what, what's going on? What happened? Oh, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm becoming, I'm going to tried to join a local uh, running club and that's homed up by a friend of mine and that we're meeting on Monday night so oh uh, man I just want okay uh, I just wanted to get your opinion on uh, Pop OS uh, the the latest um, uh, fork from Ubuntu uh, created by uh, System76 yeah yeah actually yeah that's you know that's that's a um, that's a, that's a great question Sweet Lou so um, if you guys haven't heard, um, you know, this fits right in with the theme of being independent, staying with the theme of being independent. Uh, if you haven't heard system 76, which is named for their independence back in 1776 has decided to become a little more independent by forking Ubuntu and they are launching their own operating system and they are calling it pop OS. And essentially at this point, what they have done is they have taken Ubuntu GNOME, um, and they have added the a bunch of extensions to GNOME, and they have tweaked the desktop environment of GNOME, the uh, you know the theme of GNOME to make it look a little bit more co- cohesive. And so the idea is, if you'll remember back a couple months ago, Canonical, the company who makes Ubuntu, which is a free operating system, a free competitor to Windows or Mac OS, the they have decided that the way that the system looks, so where the menus are, how the menus are, where the bar is, how the folders work, all of that stuff, that what we call the desktop, what you would traditionally think of in Windows as a start bar or in Mac OS as, you know, the, the um, whatever, dock, I guess, um, they were going to go to a different desktop. And instead of developing their own in-house desktop, they're going to go to one that is being used by many, many, many distros, not the least of which is my all-favorite Red Hat, which, you know, is just amazing. So that's great because now the, all of these Linux distros are centralizing around a single desktop environment. And that's a good thing. At least I think so. Here's where it's not so great. 
um, System76 has decided that they want to create their own basically distro. They're not calling it a distro. They're calling it an operating system. And I'll tell you why I agree with that decision 100% in a second. They are going to create their own distro, own variant of Ubuntu, and they are going to change some things from the way that GNOME is doing it. Now, the reason that I agree with them calling it an operating system, distros, we talk about distros as if like all Linuxes are related, but they're just slightly different flavors. And that is completely not accurate. Um, the it, it, That's not accurate for a number of reasons. Um, the reason that I need... The, the reason that it, it's not accurate is because if I have software that's written for Ubuntu in PPAs or in the form of devs, yes, maybe I could recompile that code to work on Red Hat or Fedora or CentOS or whatever. That might be true. But out of the box, I can't just install that. So just because software is written for one Linux distro doesn't necessarily mean all those library files doesn't necessarily mean the the you know is it is it a QT or a GTK app? All of these things affect whether or not we can go from one distribution to another. Now, anywhere else in the world, we would just say it's a Windows problem versus a Mac OS problem. But because of the way that Linux fragments, the really there's there's a lot of distros that the only thing they have in common is the kernel. And so, yes, I think when you have different distributions, different derivatives, different flavors, they are different operating systems. Some things work in some, some don't work in others, and that we have to accept that. So I agree with System 76's branding, calling it a different operating system. I also think that there are a number of changes that need to be made to GNOME to make it a usable desktop. I, I furthermore think that there are System 76 customers that are going to be totally sidelined by this change in, in user interface. And so all of those reasons combined, I think it's very, very important that System76 take active steps to ensure a smooth transition from one desktop environment to the other. Now, do I think that that required them to completely fork Ubuntu and create their own operating system? No. Back in Linux Unplugged, I don't know, a couple months ago, I was even a little hesitant of them creating their own theme because it seems like right from the beginning, we're starting with, okay, now we're all going to land on GNOME, and then all of a sudden, here we are encroaching out into, well, we're going to do this differently and that differently and this differently and that differently and this. And now it's evolved into, we're going to make our uh, our own freaking operating system. My question is, why can't those things, why can't those changes be sent upstream to GNOME? Okay, GNOME isn't usable out of the box. I get that. I agree with that. So why not talk to the GNOME team and say, could we natively integrate these five extensions, these seven extensions, whatever they are. And I've tried Pop! OS. I think it's a great operating system. I agree with the changes that they made to it. I think, I think it's – if my choice from a pure usability standpoint was am I going to use Pop! OS out of the box or am I going to use stock GNOME, I'll take Pop! OS every time. It's a better operating system. It's a better user experience, hands down. I give it to them. That's true. But why couldn't – there's nothing that Pop! OS is doing that we couldn't do in stock GNOME and still call it you know, stock Ubuntu or Ubuntu you – know, Whatever we could, we could submit those changes to Canonical. We could submit those changes to um, even the GNOME Foundation and have that integrated in GNOME. That's what I think should have happened here. Um, and I, you know, it's going to be interesting. And I, I'm I'm good friends with the System Seventy Six folks. I like the work that they do. I want to see them succeed. They know that, um, and they also know how I, you know they know my personal opinion on this. Uh, so. And, you know, maybe, uh, you know, I've been talking to uh, a couple of people from System76, so maybe we'll get somebody on the program and uh, and we can talk to them about it a little bit. But I have some real concerns about about this particular direction. I think this is a very, very um, aggressive move to to start to try to maintain an, an, an entire operating system. And I say that as a owner of a company who has tried to have who has needed small little software things to run his business. And I've tried to implement them, and it has bitten me time and time again. Now, granted, I am not as smart as some of the developer people that work for System76, and I've seen it firsthand. I mean, these guys, you know, they have we, – we, you know, we were there, and we we're going to film an episode there, and uh, we needed some equipment, and we needed some software to work. And, like, without any pre-planning, without e- even a heads up, 
their people just went to work and they're like, okay, we're going to download this driver. We're going to compile this thing. We're going to get this thing configured. We're going to connect this to that. We're going to do, and they gave us a usable system in like, I don't know, three hours of, and that they just figured that out on the fly. So if that's what they can do on the fly, uh, you know, what are they doing behind closed doors when they're actually planning? And, and, you know, they have, you know, months and months to think about things. I'm sure it's even better. And that's even, I go as far to say that even, you know, as far as their image deployment system, you know, Chris and I were just blown away at how cool this system is that they just plug the system into a laptop, push a button, and it re-images the operating system, particular for that model. It's really cool. They do some really neat things. Do I think that necessarily translates into it's going to be an amazing operating system that I think they can maintain long term? I don't know. I would like an answer to that question. So, uh, you know, that's a long, really long way of saying, Sweet Lou, I like what System76 is doing. I agree with the direction they are going. They, like me, want to see more people own their technology, own their hardware, own their software, use free and open source platforms that respect their freedom, companies that aren't going to pull the rug out from under you. I don't know that we necessarily see the eye to eye in the same way of how to get there. Because if you get a lot of people on this Pop! OS and all of a sudden you've got to pull, that, pull back from it, well, now there's a lot of people standing on a rug and there's one company that's holding the rug up. And that's... That seems like a dangerous place to be to me. Uh, again, phone lines one eight five five four five zero noah one eight five five four five zero six six two four. Phone lines are open again live at asknoahshow.com. And I realize that there's probably going to be a couple less calls this weekend because you guys are out at the range, out at the barbecues, all that stuff. That's going to be pretty cool. Staying with the theme of the show being independent, uh, and I want to queue up, let's see here, can we queue up cut one uh, of my interview? Um, do, do, do. I am not being able to see my cut sheet, so I don't know. I feel so unprofessional and unprepared. Okay, yeah, go ahead and queue up cut one. And yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, go ahead and queue up cut one. And um, this is an interview that I shot back at... Linux Fest Northwest, or I'm sorry, uh, Southeast Linux Fest. And I had a chance to chat with David McMackins. Some of you may know him in the chat room as Xerox. Now, David started a company called Dell Wink Software, and he did that with one thing in mind. Designing and providing software in a free and open source way without compromising his values. And you better believe there were people that said, you can't make software without being proprietary. There's no profit margin built into it. You got to have a way to make money. You're never going to make a career out of this. And he just, he doesn't care. He's, you know, he has, he's not going to compromise his values. He, much like me, um, has a set of ideals, has a set of morals, and he's not compromising those for anyone. So uh, let's go and play cut one. I'm here on the floor with Southeast Linux Fest. And one of the things that has really been driven home for me this weekend is this concept of, of friendship and community because we have I have spent my time here walking around the floor and I've got to meet a lot of people and hang out with a lot of people that I talk to every night so I feel like I, I know these guys you know inside and out and yet some of them I've met for the first time one of the such people is uh, Xerox, who is Dave, is it McMackins or Mackins? McMackins. McMackins. Yeah. David McMackins. Uh, I just call him Xerox, and I'm going to call you Xerox through the interview because that's what I know you as. Um, and he's here. And Xerox, I have to, I just want to start out and saying thank you. Thank you for your dedication to open source and development. There are a lot of people out there that I think would say, if you want to be a successful real developer, quote unquote, then you better learn you know, Visual Basic and .NET and develop on the Windows and, you know, whatever. And you better buy a MacBook and you better run macOS because that's what the developers are doing these days. And you've said, no, no, I, I can start a company and I can develop free and open source software without trading my principles. And it's not a religion to me. It's just a core belief system. And there's nothing wrong with that. Sure. Um, you know, it, it's I, I just approach it from a matter of principle. Um, I I think that uh, the proprietary software um, is is sort of a uh, a bad deal on the part of the user, and I I would feel wrong myself offering somebody a bad deal and trying to convince them that it's a good deal. Sure. When you uh, when you when you started out and you you were so you're you're a, d a developer by profession, right? You've gone to school for this. 
Uh, actually, no. Um, okay. I uh, started out as a hobbyist in 2013, right after I got out of high school. Okay. Um, and then started doing things for myself. Uh, didn't realize that I actually had sort of a marketable skill and uh, and did some development on the side for some extra cash. But actually, actually, I'm still in school as a math student. Oh, you um, are looking to uh, to teach at the university level. Okay. So you but you've got into this, and you said. From the get-go, was this a belief system that, that, that then development turned into? So, for example, did you start with a core belief in free and open source software and then that transition into, hey, I could develop and write this stuff? Or was it, I can develop and write this stuff, I can develop and write software, the better way to do that is with free and open source platforms? Uh, it, yeah, it was sort of the other way around. I started out developing before I even had really ever heard of, uh, of free software, um, and then it was it was through uh, switching over to uh, uh, away from Windows and to uh, to GNU plus Linux uh, first uh, to Arch and then to uh, to Debian that I use now. I, I through learning about that stuff, I stumbled across uh, different videos of people talking about free software, and I was like, you know, this is actually a pretty good idea. Um, and and that's what really changed my my mindset. Um, it was um, at, at first I was I was very much a believer in intellectual property, um, and and put you know copyright stamps on on everything I ever made and, and said you know. Be careful what you do with this, or I'll, I'll get you, or you know whatever. Um, but but after listening to other people talk about it, I was like, you know what, you're you're kind of right, and I I don't really feel good doing this anymore. Talk to the you before you heard of free and open source software, because there's a young developer out there right now that is they're afraid. They're afraid to develop free and open source software. They're afraid to stick to a certain given principle set because they're afraid it will, you know. Typecast isn't the right word, but it's it's but it will it will box them in. It will not allow them to you know to be a real developer to make real money. You have started a you know successful software company, Delwink. Um, talk about how you have made that work. Well, I mean, the there there are lots of ways to make money in software. Only one of these ways is um, selling verbatim copies for for a flat fee, which is really the only thing that you get out of proprietary software that you really can't reliably pull off with free software. Um, so. Any any other uh, service-based business model will work, customization, uh, hosting, uh, any uh, support, anything like that. It all still works. So everything else that you would build a software company on still works, minus selling verbatim copies. You can of course still do that, but it's harder to get away with it. Okay, so let's let's dive into that just a little bit more. So. When you say selling verbatim copies, I write the piece of software code once, and I burn it to a thousand CDs, and I try and sell a thousand CDs. Now, I assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, I assume the reason that you say that that would not work in an open source model is because after the first one, a lot of people will just replicate it because the license requires them to be able to have the source code and allow to allow them to reproduce it. Right? That's pretty much it. You since, since you're not creating some sort of uh, artificial monopoly on it. Um, then nothing is stopping somebody else from turning around and doing the exact same thing. And I don't think there's anything wrong in principle with somebody being able to do that. It's just something, it's part of reality you have to keep in your mind when you're uh, wanting to develop free software professionally. So what if you what if you did this? What if you offered like a download but after you purchased a code or something like that and they had to enter the code? Uh, I'll, I'll use Parted Magic as kind, of a, as kind of a not perfect but close enough example, right? There is no reason why you couldn't take part in Magic and, you know, go torrent a copy. You know, or really, you could use any software as an example, Microsoft Office or whatever. But you have to purchase the software if you want to, you know, if you want to download it properly. And yet, there's a lot of people that just don't want the hassle of going through, you know, finding a torrent and stuff like that. As an open source developer, what if you just made the software only available on your site and, you know, you didn't advertise that other people... You know that you could just download it for free, and so pe- so anyone that wanted to host it and then offer it for redownload, you know, wouldn't be easily accessible or easily findable. Well, yeah, nothing's obligating you to tell people that there are other, uh, say, forks or rehosts available. Right. Um, but the fact is that they do exist, and so you, you might, if you're if you're making um, some free software that's compatible with uh, with Linux, say, you know, then distros are probably going to package it, and so you might get it for free from your distro. Gotcha. Um, and not necessarily even have to be advertised to. You know, I want X package. Oh, look, it's in my distro. I'll just get it right here. Gotcha. I don't go to the original developer hardly ever to look for a, a piece of software. I just go to my package manager. Okay, that's a great point. I didn't think about that. So, um, so again, if I can bring you back and just ask, is, is there anything, any other advice that you have for that young developer that is looking to do this to say, hey, yeah, you can make money in open source software? Or is, is, I mean, uh, once you have considered the fact that there are other, there's all of these avenues to, to do that, or any other advice? Uh, I mean, you, you just need to have a, uh, have a sales mindset, really, because you mean, the, the hard part about starting your own business is, of course, uh, finding customers at first. If, you're, if you don't have a background in, 
in uh, business or marketing, then you need to find somebody who's good at that or at least work up some courage to go around to some local places and be a solicitor for a little while, even if it makes you feel bad inside. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and there's nothing wrong with selling. I mean, that's, you know, that's part of the, that's part of the game. So you have used Linux on, on the desktop environment for a long time. What, uh, what, do you, what do you say to the people that say that, you know, really these days you should be on the Mac, you should, you should get on Mac OS, you should grab a MacBook because that's how real developers are getting stuff done? Um, I'd say that that's a, a bit subjective, really. Um, it, it depends on what you mean by real developer, of course, too. You know, just because a lot of people are doing something doesn't mean that other people who don't do that are not really that thing. Sure. Um, so, you know, when you have people that, that, you know, like OS X and they want, they want everybody to have a Mac, you know, that's, that's fine. If you, if you want to do that, then, then, then do it. But there's nothing, I would say, inherently better about that, especially given that Apple, Apple's whole business model is vendor lock-in. So if you ever right. decided that you wanted to change, well, you're, you're sort of stuck because nothing really works good on, on Mac hardware except for OS X. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And so uh, from a from a development standpoint, you would feel locked in using macOS as compared to in your case Debian? Right, that's correct. And I, I of course also like to avoid any sort of proprietary dependencies in my code because to to write some free software is hardly any use if you're depending on proprietary software. Sure. So I I would never want as an extension of dependencies also my developer tool chain. I can't have any proprietary software in that either. Um because someone needs to always be able to to build my software without um uh running proprietary code. So if I rely on stuff in, in OS X, I risk accidentally um, um, using something that someone else is going to, to need when they build it. I don't always, um, you know, you you and I see, we're definitely we're cut from the same cloth. We definitely we agree on you know on a, on a vast majority of things. And then right towards the very end, I think we just kind of we just kind of like okay, we just we differ just a little bit at the very tip top, right? And one of those things is in messengers, and we've we've had this conversation. And I just wanted to get your opinion because I I I, I very I'm, I respect your opinion, and you are always one of the people that I can consult before I make a decision because you have a very grounded, uh, you know, very principled mindset, and I very much appreciate that. And I want to give the listeners of the Ask Noah Show a taste of that when it comes to messengers. So I have been criticized on the show in feedback, as you know, as well as you know, on, on the forums and stuff for using Telegram. Because um, you know it's been said, and they're not wrong, that there is a there are some serious concerti- uh, security concerns from a messenger that just says trust us, we're secure, and we'll give you a bounty to prove that we're not secure. Except there's all these little like weird things in the bounty, so it's not really exactly as compelling as we're trying to make it out to be. I know you have looked in at least tangentially at Signal and Wire and Telegram. What's your opinion of all these messengers? Is there a good one for people that care about security, that care about freedom and open source? Well, I've seen examples of uh, several companies in the past doing things like... well, on, on on the worst end of things, promising to to release source of things under a free license, and then time goes by, and then their their product gets popular, and then they decide, well, we don't really want to do it anymore, uh-huh. um, and, and so then they just keep it proprietary uh, perpetually. Um, so what I worry about when when uh, a business or or some group of developers decides, okay, we're going to make some proprietary software, and eventually we're going to release the source, and they actually do. I, you know, I still I, I find myself questioning whether or not their um, their hearts are pure, so to speak. Um, wh- whether they're doing that because they genuinely because they've genuinely changed their mind and care about users, or if they just think that it's going to get them more users and and they're doing it only for profit. And they, as soon as it becomes more profitable to go proprietary again, they'll pull back out. Yeah, that's I think that's a real concern. It's something that people really need to be aware of. And you know, at the Astro Show, we're going to constantly be looking at these messengers and bringing you the most up-to-date information as we can. Hey, David, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the Ask Noah program. We hope to get you on the program again real ta- uh, you know, real soon. If people wanted to find more information, it's uh, delwink.com? Uh, delwink.com, or for me personally, mcmackins.org. Outstanding. Thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. All right. Phone lines, as always, one 450 noah That's one 450 live at asknoahshow.com. And a huge thank you for David for agreeing to come on the Ask Noah Show and share his views and tips and tricks of how he got his start in open source software development. I'm shifting gears, and this is going to be fun for me. And uh, it's probably going to piss off all the hipsters out there. Blog.lenovo.com, headline, Lenovo.com, retro ThinkPad, it's alive. At this point, it seems the cat is out of the bag. There are certain things I can now confirm. Yes, Lenovo will be making a special edition ThinkPad as part of the 25th, 25th anniversary celebration. 
It's aimed at enthusiasts and superfans that were kind enough to share their thoughts about what the laptop might be. As with any new product we develop, there will always be technical and cost limitations. But I think we've landed I think what we've landed on is quite impressive. The product will embody some of the things that people have asked for. It has a wonderful black rubberized coating, three trackpoint caps, a keyboard to die for. I will proudly carry one. Exact pricing and availability are not finalized, but I can assure you it will not cost $5,000. Ha ha, Apple. I have no idea how the rumor got started. I wish I could say more about this special product, but for now I can't. I've held early development hardware in my hand, powered it on, looked at the screen, and typed on it. Those who have seen it can't help but smile, but please be patient. There's more to come. It's alive. That comes from David Hill, again, blog.lenovo.com. So if you haven't heard about this, Lenovo is making a retro ThinkPad, and this is going to be a ThinkPad built for those of us who love the traditional IBM classic ThinkPads, the, the businessman's computer. The computer that you took everywhere with you, the computer that was durable, that was reliable, that had a traditional docking port and ports up the wazoo right there on the laptop, not off of some stupid dongle thing that we hang off off the side. Everything on the older ThinkPads was top notch. I mean, it was it, the, the difference between ThinkPads and MacBooks is The ThinkPad was never built to be a fashion statement. It was built to be a tool, and it was built to be the best tool that money could buy. And IBM delivered on that time and time again. Uh, I mean, if you have any doubts about that, just ask around. Ask some of the people that worked for these companies that used these old IBM ThinkPads, and they will tell you they were were the best computer that money could buy. And, you know, this coming from a once 12-year-old little boy who worked three summer jobs to save up and buy his first IBM ThinkPad 755C. And then later, I, you know, I worked another year and a half and saved up uh, working at a, at a help desk, which I would not wish on my worst enemy. And I saved up and buy, bought an IBM ThinkPad 560E. And you know, if you remember, uh, the 560E, I would argue, even to today, has probably one of the best keyboards of any laptop I have ever used because, and and, okay. So first of all, I will be the first to admit that keyboard is a subjective thing. What is a good keyboard? What is a bad keyboard? The right amount of key travel, the right amount of squish, the right amount of return. All of that stuff is, is very subjective. Um, But I have used a lot of different keyboards up to and including the MacBooks, And uh, you know, Apple does not make a bad keyboard, but there is nothing like a traditional IBM ThinkPad keyboard. There's nothing that even comes close. It's just the best scissor keyboards. In fact, so much so that for a while, uh, it was a product. They were actually making like a desktop variant of the keyboard, and you could it was just like a USB thing you could plug into your desktop because the keyboards were so well-renowned. Um, and then, oh, you know, oh, 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 oh sorry, nostalgia. Um, we can't forget about the 701C. Uh, if you if you're like okay if you're under the age of like thirty, then you'll have to go back to Google and just Google IBM ThinkPad butterfly keyboard. And I still have mine. In fact, I have two. I have my original one that I had, and then I had one that I I found a good deal on, and I just had to buy. And um, mine still is running Windows ninety eight second edition. <laughs> so I have I have a soft spot in my heart for the good old ThinkPads. And my my X two seventy I have lots of things I like about it. It's a great computer, but it has gone the way of the hipster. Um, in a lot, a lot of ways, they have the chiclet style keyboard. They have the, you know, dual function button crap on the top where I've got to toggle it to get the media buttons or just stupid. Um, and of course, as, as you probably come to expect, the Ask Noah show, we're going to do a deep dive into one of these machines because I, I assure you, I will be one of the first people to buy one the second they ship. And uh, I'll show you all the ways it can walk circles around around your uh, MacBook with your dongles. Um, but it is supposed to be the computer that has everything we wished newer Le- Lenovo's had. If you've been following the blog, and I have, I've been watching this project since it was a rumor. Um, you know, so uh, you know the same. It, it, get, just getting uh, off the chiclet style keyboard and back onto an actual keyboard. Just getting back to having the media buttons, uh, you know, as as function keys. So, for instance, you push function, and then um, 
you know, like up arrow for play and, and down arrow for pause and stuff like that. It took up zero uh, keyboard real estate, but made the computer f- way more functional. Uh, I just, I miss it. So this is the computer that is supposed to be, you know, the, the, the computer for people like me, the, the, a utility, a tool. Um, so, yeah. Uh, actually, so here's what I would say. I would say that this ThinkPad is what ThinkPad users really want and have wanted for some time. It, it comes down to a very short list. It comes down to a better display, more RAM. So, like, if you were to take it, the older ThinkPad and then you said, what needs to be changed to make it usable today? We need a better display. We need more RAM. We need a bigger hard disk, probably an SSD. Um, but the chassis design, keep that the same. It's amazing. In fact, I was having a discussion with this quite passionately um, in one, uh, one of the – I don't remember which one. One of the Telegram groups uh, and it was um, – we were talking about the build quality of ThinkPads because they feel very plasticky when you hold them. Um, and that's not a bad thing. That's just the way that Lenovo builds them. And I, I, I said and I stand by this. Um, I'll go take my ThinkPad and I'll throw it down on the floor next to somebody's MacBook. And your MacBook is going to get dented and scratched and beat up. My ThinkPad's going to bounce a couple times and I'll go pick it back up. I mean, they're, they're built that well. And so when you, you know, if you're like me, you treat them nicely, then they last even longer. And uh, the only thing I'm hoping they, they and I'm sure there's going to be somebody out there in the retro ThinkPad world that's like, no, we, we're not going to do that. But I really hope they put USB-C on it because I love USB-C. I love USB-C. I think it's... I think it's like the most fantastic connector in the world. In fact, we have gone all out here at the Ask Noah show and uh, with USB-C. So we're, we're, redoing, uh, we're redoing the studio back in Grand Forks. And um, one of the things that we've done inside of the studio is we have put in all new desks. And all of the desks now have these uh, USB-C cords that are mounted to the desk. So when you set your laptop down, you can just pull out on the cord and plug it in. And one thing I, I wasn't aware of... Um, that we had done and somebody else thought of this in the company. So good job, whoever that was. Uh, they connected this to little USB-C docks. And so the monitor on the far left now lights up and there's a wireless keyboard mouse that I can use my laptop on. So I just set my laptop down and plug this USB-C cable in. It's not quite as good as an actual dock. So I, I still prefer an actual dock connector. And if that was a thing, I, I'd totally be all over it. But it it's good enough. It's close enough that... Um, and it works. And really, all I really need to do is power because I don't really mind using the computer right in front of me anyway. So the fact that all of those are there and it's all one cable, that's great. And, you know, I'll tell you what drove this home for me. What really drove this home for me was the first day I had my ThinkPad. And I it shipped to Grand Forks. And then I wasn't in Grand Forks. I was actually at Linux Fest Northwest at the time. So I had one of the guys at the shop uh, ship it to me and uh, got it in Washington, opened the box up, took it out, set everything up the way I wanted it. And later that night... I was over at Chris's house and hanging out with him. Um, and I was sitting on his couch and I'm like, hey, my laptop's dying. Now I could get up and walk over to my backpack and grab my power supply out and plug it in. Or I could just reach over here to your MacBook USB-C charger and plug it into my laptop. And that's what I ended up doing. And then it charged. And I'm like, Wow, 2017, we have reached a time when the Lenovo ThinkPad and the Apple MacBook use the same charger. So it would be cool enough if HP and Sony and Lenovo and all those companies had, you know, landed on a single charger. But to have to, to, to have Apple being one of the first companies to actually spearhead the whole USB-C thing, to me, that's that that's where the rubber meets the road because if they're going to do it, I feel like everyone can do it. And the only problem I've ever had is with a couple of HP machines. They don't seem to recognize the uh, other USB-C charger. So you have to use the one that ships with the HP computers. And we've had that in the shop a couple of different times. And it's been a little frustrating um, because what's the point of having this universal charger if you can't actually, if it's not actually universal, but it's firmware control. And I'm sure long-term, I'm sure that'll get worked out or people will just stop buying computers that don't support, you know, this universal standard. So thanks very much for everyone who listened to the 4th of July episode. We really appreciate it. Stay safe. Enjoy the United States. This brings us to the end of this week's show. We'll be back next Monday at 6 p.m. Central. A huge thanks to Ben, our producer, Sarah, our call screener, and Rakai, our video editor. We'll hand you off to Otter Health. Coming, it changed. Coming up next on KEQQ 88.3 LPFM. (laughs) 